Chapter Four of Howard's End. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Howard's End by E. M. Forster. Chapter Four. Helen and her aunt returned to Wickham Place in a state of collapse, and for a little time Margaret had three invalids on her hands. Mrs. Munt soon recovered she possessed to a remarkable degree the power of distorting the past and before many days were over she had forgotten the part played by her own imprudence in the catastrophe even at the crisis she had cried thank goodness poor margaret is saved this which during the journey to london evolved into it had to be gone through by some one which in its turn ripened into the permanent form of the one time i really did help emily's girls was over the wilcox business but helen was a more serious patient new ideas had burst upon her like a thunderclap and by them and by her reverberations she had been stunned the truth was that she had fallen in love not with an individual but with a family before paul arrived she had as it were been tuned up into his key the energy of the wilcoxes had fascinated her had created new images of beauty in her responsive mind to be all day with them in the open air to sleep at night under their roof had seemed the supreme joy of life and had led to that abandonment of personality that is a possible prelude to love she had liked giving in to mr wilcox or evie or charles she had liked being told that her notions of life were sheltered or academic that equality was nonsense vote for women nonsense socialism nonsense art and literature except where conducive to strengthening the character nonsense one by one the schlegel fetishes had been overthrown and though professing to defend them she had rejoiced when mr wilcox said that one sound man of business did more good to the world than a dozen of your social reformers she had swallowed the curious assertion without a gasp and had leant back luxuriously among the cushions of his motor-car when charles said why be so polite to servants they don't understand it she had not given the schlegel retort of if they don't understand it i do no she had vowed to be less to polite to servants in the future i am swathed in cant she thought and it is good for me to be stripped of it and all that she thought or did or breathed was a quiet preparation for paul paul was inevitable charles was taken up with another girl mr wilcox was so old evie so young mrs wilcox so different round the absent brother she began to throw a halo of romance to irradiate him with all the splendour of those happy days to feel that in him she should draw nearest to the robust ideal he and she were about the same age evie said most people thought paul handsomer than his brother he was certainly a better shot though not so good at golf and when paul appeared flushed with the triumph of getting through an examination and ready to flirt with any pretty girl helen met him halfway or more than halfway and turned towards him on the sunday evening he had been talking of his approaching exile to nigeria 
and he should have continued to talk of it and allowed their guest to recover but the heave of her bosom flattered him passion was possible and he became passionate deep down in him something whispered the girl would let you kiss her you might not have such a chance again that was how it happened or rather how helen described it to her sister using words even more unsympathetic than my own but the poetry of that kiss the wonder of it the magic that there was in life for hours after it who can describe that it is so easy for an englishman to sneer at these chance collisions of human beings to the insular cynic and the insular moralist they offer an equal opportunity it is so easy to talk of passing emotion and how to forget how vivid the emotion was ere it passed our impulse to sneer to forget is at root a good one we recognize that emotion is not enough and that men and women are personalities capable of sustained relations not merely opportunities for an electrical discharge yet we rate the impulse too highly we do not admit that by collisions of this trivial sort the doors of heaven may be shaken open to helen at all events her life was to bring nothing more intense than the embrace of this boy who played no part in it he had drawn her out of the house where there was danger of surprise and light he had led her by a path he knew until they stood under the column of the vast witch-elm a man in the darkness he had whispered i love you when she was desiring love in time his slender personality faded the scene that he had evoked endured in all the variable years that followed she never saw the like of it again i understand said margaret at least i understand as much as ever is understood of these things tell me now what happened on the monday morning it was over at once how helen i was still happy while i dressed but as i came downstairs i got nervous and when i went into the dining-room i knew it was no good there was evie i can't explain managing the tea-urn and mr wilcox reading the times was paul there yes and charles was talking to him about stocks and shares and he looked frightened by slight indications the sisters could convey much to each other margaret saw horror latent in the scene and helen's next remark did not surprise her somehow when that kind of man looks frightened it is too awful it is all right for us to be frightened or for men of another sort father for instance but for men like that when i saw all the others so placid and paul mad with terror in case i said the wrong thing i felt for a moment that the whole wilcox family was a fraud just a wall of newspapers and motor-cars and golf clubs and that if it fell i should find nothing behind it but panic and emptiness i don't think that the wilcoxes struck me as being genuine people particularly the wife no i don't really think that but paul was so broad-shouldered all kinds of extraordinary things made it worse and i knew that it would never do never i said to him after breakfast when the others were practising strokes we rather lost our heads and he looked better at once though frightfully ashamed he began a speech about having no money to marry on 
but it hurt him to make it and i stopped him then he said i must beg your pardon over this miss schlegel i can't think what came over me last night and i said nor what over me never mind and then we parted at least until i remembered that i had written straight off to tell you the night before and that frightened him again i asked him to send a telegram for me for he knew you would be coming or something and he tried to get hold of the motor but charles and mr wilcox wanted it to go to the station and charles offered to send the telegram for me and then i had to say that the telegram was of no consequence for paul said charles might read it and though i wrote it out several times he always said people would suspect something he took it himself at last pretending that he must walk down to get cartridges and what with one thing and the other it was not handed in at the post office until too late it was the most terrible morning paul disliked me more and more and evie talked cricket averages till i nearly screamed i cannot think how i stood her all the other days at last charles and his father started for the station and then came your telegram warning me that aunt julie was coming by that train and paul oh rather horrible said that i had muddled it but mrs wilcox knew knew what everything though we neither of us told her a word and had known all along i think oh she must have overheard you i suppose so but it seemed wonderful when charles and aunt julie drove up calling each other names mrs wilcox stepped in from the garden and made everything less terrible oh but it has been a disgusting business to think that she sighed to think that because you and a young man meet for a moment there must be all these telegrams and anger supplied margaret helen nodded i've often thought about it helen it's one of the most interesting things in the world the truth is that there is a great outer life that you and i have never touched a life in which telegrams and anger count personal relations that we think supreme are not supreme there there love means marriage settlements death duties so far i'm clear but here my difficulty this outer life though obviously horrid often seems the real one there's grit in it it does breed character do personal relations lead to sloppiness in the end oh meg that's what i felt only not so clearly when the wilcoxes were so competent and seemed to have their hands on all the ropes don't you feel it now i remember paul at breakfast said helen quietly i shall never forget him he had nothing to fall back upon i know that personal relations are the real life for ever and ever amen so the wilcox episode fell into the background leaving behind it memories of sweetness and horror that mingled and the sisters pursued the life that helen had commended they talked to each other and to other people they filled the tall thin house at wickham place with those whom they liked or could befriend they even attended public meetings in their own fashion they cared deeply about politics though not as politicians would have us care they desired that public life should mirror whatever is good in the life within temperance tolerance and sexual equality were intelligible cries to them whereas they did not follow our forward policy in tibet with the keen attention that it merits and would at times dismiss the whole british empire 
with a puzzled if reverent sigh not out of them are the shows of history erected the world would be a grey bloodless place were it entirely composed of miss schlegels but the world being what it is perhaps they shine out in it like stars a word on their origin they were not english to the backbone as their aunt julie had piously asserted but on the other hand they were not germans of the dreadful sort their father had belonged to a type that was more prominent in germany fifty years ago than now he was not the aggressive german so dear to the english journalist nor the domestic german so dear to the english wit if one classed him at all it would be as the countryman of hegel and kant as the idealist inclined to be dreamy whose imperialism was the imperialism of the air not that his life had been inactive he had fought like blazes against denmark austria france but he had fought without visualizing the results of victory a hint of the truth broke on him after sedan when he saw the dyed moustaches of napoleon going grey another when he entered paris and saw the smashed windows of the tuileries peace came it was all very immense one had turned into an empire but he knew that some quality had vanished for which not all alsace-lorraine could compensate him germany a commercial power germany a naval power germany with colonies here and a forward policy there and legitimate aspirations in the other place might appeal to others and be fitly served by them for his own part he abstained from the fruits of victory and naturalized himself in england the more earnest members of his family never forgave him and knew that his children though scarcely english of the dreadful sort would never be german to the backbone he had obtained work in one of our provincial universities and there married poor emily or de englanderin as the case may be and as she had money they proceeded to london and came to know a good many people but his gaze was always fixed beyond the sea it was his hope that the clouds of materialism obscuring the fatherland would part in time and the mild intellectual light re-emerge do you imply that we germans are stupid uncle ernst exclaimed a haughty and magnificent nephew uncle ernst replied to my mind you use the intellect but you no longer care about it that i call stupidity as the haughty nephew did not follow he continued you only care about the things that you can use and therefore arrange them in the following order money supremely useful intellect rather useful imagination of no use at all no for the other had protested your pan-germanism is no more imaginative than is our imperialism over here it is the vice of the vulgar mind to be thrilled by bigness to think that a thousand square miles are a thousand times more wonderful than one square mile and that a million square miles are almost the same as heaven that is not imagination no it kills it when their poets over here try to celebrate bigness they are dead at once and naturally your poets too are dying your philosophers your musicians to whom europe has listened for two hundred years gone gone with the little courts that nurtured them gone with esterhaz and weimar what what's that your universities 
"'Oh, yes, you have learned men, who collect more facts than do the learned men of England. They collect facts, and facts, and empires of facts. But which of them will rekindle the light within?' To all this Margaret listened, sitting on the haughty nephew's knee. It was a unique education for the little girls. The haughty nephew would be at Wickham Place one day, bringing with him an even haughtier wife, both convinced that Germany was appointed by God to govern the world. Aunt Julie would come the next day, convinced that Great Britain had been appointed to the same post by the same authority. Were both these loud-voiced parties right? On one occasion they had met, and Margaret, with clasped hands, had implored them to argue the subject out in her presence. Whereat they blushed and began to talk about the weather. "'Papa!' she cried. She was the most offensive child. "'Why will they not discuss this most clear question?' Her father, surveying the parties grimly, replied that he did not know. Putting her head on one side, Margaret then remarked, to me one of two things is very clear either god does not know his own mind about england and germany or else these do not know the mind of god a hateful little girl but at thirteen she had grasped a dilemma that most people travel through life without perceiving her brain darted up and down it grew pliant and strong her conclusion was that any human being lies nearer to the unseen than any organization and from this she never varied. Helen advanced along the same lines, though with a more irresponsible tread. In character she resembled her sister, but she was pretty, and so apt to have a more amusing time. People gathered round her more readily, especially when they were new acquaintances, and she did enjoy a little homage very much. When their father died and they ruled alone at Wickham Place, she often absorbed the whole of the company, while Margaret— both were tremendous talkers, fell flat. Neither sister bothered about this. Helen never apologised afterwards. Margaret did not feel the slightest rancour. But looks have their influence upon character. The sisters were alike as little girls, but at the time of the Wilcox episode their methods were beginning to diverge. The younger was rather apt to entice people, and, in enticing them, to be herself enticed. The elder went straight ahead, and accepted an occasional failure as part of the game. Little need to be premised about Tibby. He was now an intelligent man of sixteen, but dyspeptic and difficile. End of chapter 4